You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. All right. Everyone, we're going to continue on with today's service. If you guys would make it back to your seats. We're going to continue on with today's service. Um, We're just so thankful that each and every one of you are here and we get to worship God together um, here in person at the church. For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Julius and I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at Village Church Hamden. And we've been going through a series where we've been studying different chapters in the book of Genesis and particularly looking at the life and the character of Abraham, um, who Right now, his name is Abram, but today he's going to get the name that he's more well-known by, which is Abraham. And so we've been looking at the ways in which Abram is committing himself to God, committing himself to worship and to follow the direction of this God. But also, this is a story about how God is committing to Abram as well. And so we're going to even see that in our text today. So before we continue on with the sermon, I'm going to invite up uh, Tabitha. She's going to read Genesis 17, verses 1 to 8. And if you guys would, go ahead and stand up for the reading of the scripture. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him, saying, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be blameless. I will set up my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell face down, and God spoke with him. As for me, here is my covenant with you. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I will make you the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful and will make nations and kings come from you. I will confirm my covenant that is between me and you and your future offspring throughout the generations. It is a permanent covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. And to you and your future offspring, I will give the land where you are residing, all the land of Canaan, as a permanent possession, and I will be their God. All right. Thank you so much, Tabitha. Thank you so much for reading that for us. Let's pray. Dear Father, we're so thankful to be here and that we get to worship you. And even as we've been going through this series, going through the journey of Abraham, it's comforting to see that, yes, Abraham commits himself to you, Father, but more importantly, you have committed to Abraham. And also that is something that's transferable for us today, that you commit to us as well that you walk with us through the many pitfalls of life, through the victories, but also the trials when we need you most. And so, Father, I just pray, would we be able to trust in that, and that would be a conviction and also a foundation that we can persevere on through. And so I pray that the words in my mouth and the meditations of my heart, would they be acceptable in your sight? Help us just to trust in you that much more. In your most glorious name I pray, amen. So as stated, we've been going through this series, going through different books 
are going through the book of Genesis. And this all started with Genesis 12, where God calls Abram to himself. God calls Abram to himself and kind of gives him a vision, a direction for Abram's life. And he tells him that you're going to have a son. And so Abram and his wife Sarah at the time didn't have a son. That's the one thing they wanted. That's the one thing that they coveted. They wanted to have a son. They wanted to have an heir in order to carry on their lineage. And so this God calls Abram and says, I am going to give you that son, but this is not just going to be about you and your immediate family. That this is going to be a blessing that not only extends to families down the road, generations down the road, but even people outside of your bloodline. There's going to be a spiritual lineage as well. And so that's where we started out. We started out in Genesis 12, and it's been a rocky and bumpy road since then. It's been 24 years, and now we're here at Genesis 17. Well, Abram and his wife still don't have a son, but what we're going to see is that God is recommitting himself to them. He is helping them to understand that I am still with you. I am still going to ensure that the promise that I made 24 years ago will come to pass. And so we get to verses uh, 5 and verses 15 in Genesis 17 where we see God do something that's kind of interesting. He gives them a new identity. He gives them a new identity. He gives them new names. Abram becomes Abraham and Sarai becomes Sarah. And let me read this out for us. Verse 5. Your name will no longer be Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I will make you the father of many nations. And in verse 15, God said to Abraham, as for your wife Sarai, do not call her Sarai, for Sarah will be her name. And so we see here that him giving them a new identity means that he's kind of giving them a new lease on life. And this is a new identity. This is a new direction in life that he is taking them. And so he's helping them to understand this is your new purpose. Who you used to be is no more. This is something brand new. You are now a new creation because you have encountered me. And we see this in pop culture all the time. We see this particularly with music artists. We saw Prince change his name to a symbol in order to get out of contractual obligations with his company, Warner Brothers, because he wanted to ensure that he would be able to own his music. We saw this with the great singer Reginald Dwight. And some of you guys are like, who is Reginald Dwight? Well, it's Elton John. And so he changed his name to Elton John in order to pay homage to two of his musical inspirations and also the name Reginald Dwight, that's not getting famous. Elton John, that's getting famous. And then lastly, just recently, we saw Kanye West become Ye. Kanye yes, Conway yes became Ye. And if I'm honest, I don't think there was a new beginning for him. I think he just woke up and was like, you know what? I'm a billionaire. I'm going to change my name. And so nothing really changed. So that's where the analogy kind of breaks down. But for the most part, when someone changes their name, when someone kind of has a new identity, what they're saying is the old has passed. What I was doing in the past is no more I have a new lease on life. I have a new direction. I have a new vision. And so this is what God is communicating to Abraham and Sarah here. He's helping them to understand that your old life is no more. And now that you have encountered me, this is something brand new. You have a new direction. You have a new lease on life. We see this in the New Testament scripture, 1 Corinthians 5, 17, that says this. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. And see, the new has come. And one thing to know is nothing is ever the same after an encounter with God. Nothing is the same after we have encountered God. When we truly experience God in our lives, we can't help but be transformed from the inside out, that we are changed for the rest of our lives. It's sort of like when you meet your childhood hero. And so for me, that would be, you know, rest in power, either Kobe Bryant or back in the day would be the rapper Common. If I were to meet them and I'm saying, hey, Kobe Bryant, hey, Common, I'm a big fan. I love your work. And they looked at me and said, oh, Julius. Yeah, I know you. I've heard of you. You're doing great work, man. That is awesome. Do you know how big headed I would get after that? Do you know how much that would not be good for the world? You know what I'm saying? I hope that would never happen because you wouldn't be able to tell me anything. I would be so confident after that. They somehow know me, little old me. They somehow looked me up and said, yo, that guy's doing great work. If I meet him, I'm going to encourage him. That would be phenomenal. That would be probably one of the greatest days of my life after marrying my wife. And then, you know, of course, before that, you know, now having a child, of course, you know. Got to get those brownie points, right? But when we encounter God, when we truly experience God, it is a billion times better than that. It is a billion times better than that. Because God not only says, I know you, well, he created us. He knows us better than we even know ourselves. But he also declares, I am committed to you. I am with you. Kobe and Common can't come with me all throughout life, but God does. God is with me through the ups and the downs and everything in between, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so that's what the, we see with Abraham, Sarah, and God here, that God all throughout these last 24 years since Genesis 12 has committed himself to Abraham and Sarah. He's let them know through all of the doubt, the deceit, the battles, the skepticism that I am still committed to you. I am still committed to ensure that this promise that I told you about for you to have the one thing that you want, a son, will come to fruition, will come to pass. And as we are being transformed after encountering God, as we are, are growing and trusting that much more in God, it's also helping us to understand that just like with Abraham and Sarah, we are to be an example. We are called to be an example as well. That as we see in the text here, and we'll see it in verses 9 to 14, that the eternal blessing, the promise is not only for Abraham and his immediate family or for those in his bloodline, and also for those outside of the bloodline as well. It applies to everyone within their sphere of influence. And we see this with the act of circumcision. Let me read this out for us in verses 9 to 14. Verse 9, God also said to Abraham, as for you, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations are to keep my covenant. This is my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, which you are to keep. Every one of your males must be circumcised. You must circumcise the flesh of your foreskin to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and you. 
Throughout your generations, every male among you is to be circumcised at eight days old. Every male born in your household or purchased from any foreigner and not your offspring. Verse 13, whether born in your household or purchased, he must be circumcised. My covenant will be marked in your flesh as a permanent covenant. If any male is not circumcised the flesh of his foreskin, that man will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And so God, through the covenant of circumcision, he calls Abraham and Sarah to action. To be an example, and not only for their immediate family or for those in their bloodline, but also for those outside of their bloodline as well, that the coming of their son, the coming of this eternal blessing doesn't just apply to them, but for all those that, just as he talked about in Genesis 12, that he will be a blessing for generations to come, for people to come, that it would even apply to us today. That is not just a bloodline or not just a physical lineage, but this is a spiritual one as well. And so our responsibility is to live out our new identity. It's to live out our new identity, to be a testament to what God has done in our lives in the midst of whatever sphere of influence we are in. And so what does it mean to live out your identity? What does it mean to live out your identity? Well, this is a call to multiply our lives. It's a call to share our lives with, with everyone. Abraham and Sarah's new identity isn't just for their benefit, but for everybody's benefit within their crew, within their squad, within their party. And so God's covenant extends to everyone. And so that is for us that we get to, as we are being transformed individually, we get to step into whatever sphere of influence we are in and influence other people so that they would have an encounter encounter with God, that we get to be that light in the midst of darkness. And that's what we hope is happening here at Village Church Hamden. Like we have the the, the statement or the catchy phrase, transforming lives and transforming communities. And it's a beautiful phrase, but it's also something that we hope is actually happening. That as individual people are being transformed, as individual people are encountering the great God of the Bible, that they are also being able to go into whatever sphere of influence they are in, whether it be their career, whether it be their families, and be able to be a light, to be able to be a testament to what God has done in their lives. That's the call. That's what it means to live out your identity, that you are sharing your life with others in order that they can encounter this great God as well. We don't want to hoard the blessing. We want to give it out. We want to let people know this is what it's all about. And you may be thinking, well, Julius, that can't be me. Maybe you feel like you have a lot of fear of man. Maybe you feel like you're not the greatest orator. Maybe you feel like you're, quote, unquote, not a varsity level Christian. Here's what I want to say. As we look throughout the Bible, one thing is to say, I would say God has one of the greatest player development programs of all time. He has one of the greatest player development programs of all time. For those of you who don't know, in sports, a lot of times when someone someone is a rookie, they put together a player development in order to get them ready for playing time, in order to get them ready for when they will actually see the court, see the field, whatever sport they are playing. And so that's what God does with us. 
he looks at different people and he we see in the Bible with Jesus Christ and the 12 that they walked with them for three years and if you were looking at the 12 disciples you would look at them and be like you choosing them that, that's who you're rolling with Peter I, I know him from around the way I don't know if you want to trust that guy Matthew the tax collector he stole my money yesterday like why would you want to trust these people and God is saying oh no I got this Oh, I can work with that. I, I got the development plan to help them because when Jesus Christ left, these 12 flipped the world upside down and changed it forever. Because they are faithful to reach one and teach one. They were faithful just to trust in what Jesus Christ had taught them, which was to be faithful and to be a testament to what God has done in their lives. And I've seen it in my own life. Like, if you would have talked to Julius 10 years ago and said, hey, Julius, I have a word for you. And I'd be like, okay, word, what you, what you got for me? And he said, hey, your job is going to be speaking in front of people, engaging with people on a consistent basis, talking to people all of the time. I would look at you and be like, nah, that's not for me, man. I can't do that. Like, just as Paul says he's a chief of all sinners, I would say I'm a chief of all introverts. People drain me. This would have scared me, scared me to death 10 years ago to do. But when I encountered God, when I truly experienced who God is, yo, he took me through that player development. And he started to help me to understand through different people and different opportunities, hey, Julius, I'm pushing you in this direction. Guess what? You're not ready, but I got you. Guess what? Yeah, you may not be good enough, Julius, but I got you because it's not about you. I just need you to be faithful. I'm the one that's got the power. And so as we have our new identities, as we are trying to live that out, it's all about us trusting in the fact that God has us and he is pushing us into areas in which, yes, we may not be ready, be ready but he is going to be the one that actually does the change. So all we need to do is be faithful. All we need to do is trust that he is placing us in different areas in life so that we can influence people in our sphere of influence. But as we continue on with Genesis 17, one of the things that we will see is that having a new identity, knowing that we are securely and knowing that God has committed himself to us, it doesn't mean that we won't experience doubts. It doesn't mean that we won't experience skepticism, that we won't look at God kind of sideways and say, I don't know if this plan is actually working out, God. This new identity doesn't mean that we won't struggle. And we see this even as we are coming to verse 17. And right now, Abraham is somewhat skeptical even after hearing all this. He's no longer Abram, he is now Abraham, and he's been declared that he is going to be the father of many nations, and his lineage isn't just going to be a physical one, but a spiritual one as well, right? And so, that's all well and dandy, that's great, that is awesome, God. But as he's looking around, you know, he's got to be thinking, I'm still somewhat skeptical. Why? I don't see a son. I don't see the one thing that you, prayer, that you promised me and my wife 24 years ago. I don't see it. What's going on? And so he responds saying to himself, similar to 
how I probably would respond as well. Verse 17, Abraham fell face down. Then he laughed and said to himself, can a child be born to a hundred-year-old man? Can Sarah, a 90-year-old woman, give birth? I mean, he laughs to himself. He laughs because this so-called covenant, this so-called God recommitting to himself to Abraham and his wife Sarah, in some respects, almost means nothing because he's got no son. He's got no heir. His identity may be secure. God may have committed himself, but the evidence is hard to overlook at this time. That he has waited 24 years for a child to come and no child is here. He doesn't have the one thing that him and his wife have been covening for so long, have been praying for, hoping for for so long, which is this son. And that's why, even for me, it's hard to read this passage. It's hard and difficult because I would be skeptical of God as well. Like in this moment, I would be wondering, like, what is going on? I wouldn't be jumping for joy even after getting a new name. I would be reacting similarly to Abraham in verse 17, laughing to myself in disbelief, wondering, is my identity really secure with God if I don't have the one thing that I want? Is this really my purpose? Because the plan is not going according to the way it was supposed to go. And this is where the rubber meets the road in our belief in God's sovereignty, if he is in control. Because we would start to wonder, yo, does he know what's going on? We may even start to wonder, does God actually care for me? Does God actually care for me? Because if he did, the plan would be going a lot better. It would be going exactly the way I want it to go. And so for Abraham right now, he's like, it's been 24 years. You've been promising me this son for 24 years. And at some point, just like Abraham, I'm going to start to feel skeptical. I'm going to start to doubt God a little bit because this has been a long time. And I don't see the son that I want. I don't see the plan coming to fruition the way I hoped it would come. And so knowing who you are in God doesn't mean that you won't ever have doubts. Knowing who you are in God doesn't mean that you won't be skeptical at times. And though many of you may be in a similar place as Abraham, like at some point you encountered God, you had an experience with God, and you knew exactly what your purpose was in life, that, you, that, flam, that fan of faith, that fire of faith was there, and you, were, you knew exactly what you wanted to do. You had your purpose. You knew everything that God wanted you to do, and now not so much, Right? Now things are a little bit foggy. And it can be for a myriad of reasons. Sometimes it's a traumatic event or sometimes something happened in your life that caused you to start having doubts or sometimes you're questioning things that you have been taught all of your life and you're wondering, is this what God wants me to believe? Is this how God wants me to live? And like Abraham, you are skeptical. You became skeptical of God because you felt like he had a plan and it didn't go according to the way you thought it would go. And you start to wonder, is all of this real? Is everything that I have been experiencing actually real? 
Is this actually my identity that I'm a child of God? And you may ask the taboo question, am I actually a Christian? You may be asking yourself that question as well. And if that's you, I want to say very clearly, we're thankful that you're here. We're thankful that you took that step and you're still willing to process, that you're still willing to take time to process through these things. And we hope that here at Village Church Hamden, you can feel like you can ask those tough questions. You can feel like you can ask whatever tough question you are going through because we want to help you to process. We want to help you to understand what is going on in your life at this time. And we hope that you don't feel judged for asking those tough questions because we've all been there. And just as we want to meet you where you are at, God wants to meet you where you're at as well. God wants to meet you where you're at as well. And he gives us a little glimpse of what that looks like in verse 19. But God said, no, your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will name him Isaac. I will confirm my covenant with him as a permanent covenant for his future offspring. And so this is a significant moment right here. This is a big deal, but it's probably not for the reason what you're thinking. Like you're thinking, okay, at this point, he's giving him a son. He's giving him the answer. That's a significant moment. But to me, that's not actually the significant moment here. The significant thing about this passage is that God tells Abraham, your laughter of disbelief is actually going to become laughter of, re- of relief and of joy. Laughter of belief and of joy. And you may be asking yourself, well, how is that, Julius? I don't necessarily see that in the text per se. Well, I see it. It's very clear right here where he is, it's all in the name. It's all in the name Isaac. It is all in the name Isaac. And a lot of times this is helping us to understand and helping Abraham to understand that uh, his identity and God's promises are going to come to fruition. And even as you're looking at the name Isaac, you may be thinking to yourself, well, this is one of the few names I'm able to pronounce that I don't have to think about. But one thing to note about names in the Bible is this. They very seldom, or if, if at all, very seldom mean nothing. They always mean something. There's always a deeper meaning to the names in the Bible. For example, with Jesus Christ, Jesus means the deliverer. No one means rest. Moses means drawn out of, like he was drawn out of the river. And so Isaac is no different. Isaac means one who laughs, one who rejoices. One who laughs, one who rejoices. So in the midst of Abraham's doubt, God is coming to meet him where he's at. God is reminding him and helping him to understand that the eternal blessing is still coming. And it may seem like simple wordplay that he's just saying Isaac means one who laughs, one who rejoices. But he's turning his worldview up on his head and saying, you will have the last laugh and you will rejoice because you will have a son and be a part of a great lineage. He's helping him to understand that. And this is part of living out our identity as well. That knowing and being reminded that God wants to meet us where we are at. It's knowing and being reminded that God wants to meet us where we are at. 
And so like in Abraham's situation, there are times where we are skeptical of God, where we are wondering the deeper questions in life and we are struggling and actually seems like God is taking us into deeper waters of struggle. And we're wondering, what is my identity? Who am I in God? Am I still a Christian? And that's the beautiful thing about this passage in Abraham's story. And I think there are a lot of times we tend to overlook this, but that God is not only just meeting Abraham where he's at, but that God is talking and listening, or that Abraham is talking and listening to God. He's talking and listening to God. He's sitting there in silence and listening to what God has to say to him. He's allowing for God to speak into his life. And so God, all throughout this series, all throughout Abraham's life so far, has been there guiding him and comforting him and helping him to understand what is going on, even in the midst of times when Abraham is doing something completely wrong, God is there to say, I am still with you. And so one of the things that we need to understand is that we need to position ourselves to sit in silence and listen to this God, just like Abraham is doing here. Abraham all throughout is just listening and talking and helping himself to see what is God's direction for his life, even despite what may be going on all around him. And so this is the big moment. This is something that we need to implement for ourselves that when God meets us where we're at, a lot of times it's when we're sitting in silence and listening for what God has to say for us. And so, yes, a lot of times we want to say we want to find that one answer. We want to find that one thing that will help us to believe once again. But a lot of times what happens is we're searching for a particular answer. And we feel like if we find that answer, then guess what? All will be right with the world. But here's the thing. There will always be another question. There will always be another answer. There will always be another fact that you need to know about God. But a lot of times we can know a lot of facts, know a lot of answers about God, but never have a relationship with God. And this is not to say I'm not anti-intellectual about the faith. I'm not anti-looking up facts and knowing what we believe and why we're believing in God. But one of the things that we miss from this passage is that Abraham is sitting and listening and talking to God. And so I invite you over this next week to take one to two times throughout the week, whether it be early in the morning, right after you get off of work, or whether it be right before you go to bed. Set a timer for five minutes and sit in silence and listen to God. I know that can sound weird. But it's one of the best ways to cut out all the distractions, to cut out YouTube, to cut out, YouTube, to cut out Twitter, whatever you may use to distract yourself from the stresses of life will decompress by sitting and listening to what God has to say to you. But just like with Abraham, Abraham said everything he said in verse 17 to himself. He didn't say it out loud. And so God obviously can read your mind. He knows your heart. He knows what is going on in your life. He knows the struggle that you're going through. And so sit in silence and take it in. Sit in silence and take it in. Take in what God has to say to you and where he is pushing you towards Because he wants to meet you where you're at. He wants to bring you into greater 
in closer intimacy with him. And that's the beautiful aspect of Abraham's story. It's the beginning of God meeting us where we are at. It's a glimpse of God reclaiming and claiming that our new identities are in him. That we once had masters, that they were sin, Satan, and death. And God says, no, those are no longer your masters. And he does so by sending his son, Jesus Christ. From heavens to the earth, Jesus comes to live the life that we couldn't live. He dies in excruciating death that we should have died. And he resurrects from the grave, conquering all things that would want to hurt us. That's what it means when God comes to meet us where we are at. He sends Jesus Christ to reclaim who we are. He sends Jesus Christ to remind us that the eternal blessing back in Genesis 12 applies to us. It's not just a bloodline. It's not just a physical thing, but it's a spiritual lineage that applies to us even today. And so that's a foundation that helps us even through the skepticism, even through the doubt, even through the dark times in life. It helps us to realize that we can still trust in this God because he's already proven that he is willing to go above and beyond to meet us in our time of need. And so as I invite back up the worship team, invite back up the band, The communion table right in front of me is one of the ways that it reminds me that God is meeting us where we are at. It reminds me that through Jesus Christ, life, death, and resurrection, that this is what it means to live out our identity, that he was the perfect example of living out a new identity. And so as we come up the middle aisles and go out the outer aisles, this will be an opportunity for you to reflect. What does it mean for you to live out your identity? What does it look like for you to influence those in your sphere of influence? And what does it look like for you to really sit in the aroma of God's grace and listen to his vision and direction for your life? Let's pray. Dear Father, I'm so thankful that you called Abraham so long ago to yourself because it represents the way you call each and every one of us to yourself. That you show us that you are committed to us even before we were committed to you. You show us that you love us even when it felt like no one else did, that you were there. And that even in the midst of long trials, long suffering, you are still there. Even in the midst of us wanting to do nothing else but to run from you, you are bringing us back to yourself. And so I pray, Father, with that conviction, would that enable us just to trust in you that much more, to know that you are with us and that you are for us, God. And that you are meeting us exactly where we need to be met that you are answering us even when it seems like there's no answer to be had, that you are listening to us even in the midst of 
everything being silent. So I just pray, Father, enable us to know that, to believe that, and to persevere on with that foundation and conviction. Amen.